Hey there, I'm Charlie Conlon, creator of Knowing My Nightmares. Thanks for supporting the podcast. I hope my nightmares are giving you nightmares. If you are having nightmares, I want to hear them. I'm encouraging everyone to send me your dreams. Email me your terrifying dream dramas at knowingmynightmares at gmail.com, and it could be featured in upcoming episodes. Again, thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Dreams have famously inspired waking life for centuries, sparking ideas that changed the world. Albert Einstein's theory of relativity was inspired by a dream about a farmer and his cows. Paul McCartney dreamt of the lyrics and tune for the song Yesterday and wrote it down when he awoke. Yesterday is now one of the Beatles' most famous songs. Even the sewing machine was invented after a man named Elias Howe dreamt about cannibals preparing to cook him. The cannibals had spears, and the spears had holes through the shafts. This inspired him to invent the sewing machine. Similar to dreams, the horrors of nightmares have inspired some of the most remarkable and important stories that have shaped us. Edgar Allan Poe suffered from frequent nightmares throughout his life, which largely inspired his dark poetry. Most notably, the poems, a dream within a dream, and dreamland. Mary Shelley had a lucid nightmare about a man reanimating a human corpse with machinery and electricity, which inspired her to create the famous novel Frankenstein. Even H.P. Lovecraft's book The Necronomicon, which contains the Cthulhu monster, was thought up from a dream. It's interesting that inspiring and frightening messages, or images shown from a person's subconscious, can cause them to bring it to life through an expression of art, music, and imagery, and share it with the world, influencing others and shaping humanity. However, things created from someone's mind isn't always a good thing. I'm Charlie Conlon, and this is the nightmare I had last night. Spring has sprung. Green buds have started dressing the trees, breathing life back into the forest after a stark winter. Water runs through a stream cascading down from the hills into the lake. I am standing on a small wooden bridge while my dog Remy sniffs the forest floor like a hog looking for truffles. Remy and I follow the river through the thick wood in search of mint leaves and morel mushrooms an expensive and delicious mushroom that only grows around Mother's Day. The still-freezing river hurried downhill like it was determined to reach the lake. Both Remy and I watched the minnows within the water as we followed the river. At the shore, there was a small floating dock that looked out onto the water. Here, the dog and I sat and rested, taking in the new colors of the season. The sun reflected off of Remy's golden fur. I pulled a rock out of the lake and let Remy smell the muck that covered it. After his thorough inspection, I threw the rock back into the water, cutting the silence of the wilderness with a large splash. But something briefly caught my eye across the lake. I stared intently, looking for movement, 
within the trees. There, again, something dark and tall moving through the forest. Remy was looking too. We both glared at the other side of the lake, but there was no more movement. Strange. We made it back to the main dirt trail that led to a long boardwalk through the woods. Remy walked ahead of me inspecting rocks and bugs and stuff, enjoying his time in the forest. He continued on and eventually I caught up, but he stopped and he was staring into the woods intensely. What is it? I asked. He didn't look at me, he just looked ahead, unblinked. I couldn't see what he was seeing, maybe a squirrel or a deer? What do you see? Just then, the wind picked up and the temperature dropped. The dog was uneasy and starting to worry. I looked around, trying to figure out what was causing him to be upset. In the woods, there was movement, swift and dark. It moved quickly through the trees, gliding around us. Then, on the boardwalk, a man was standing in the distance. By the looks of it, he was wearing a suit. I couldn't tell who it was. In fact, I couldn't see his face. It was white and had no definition. I started to feel tired. Darkness filled my vision. I fell to the ground and fainted. I woke to the slimy lap of Remy's tongue on my face. My head hurt and I felt sick. It was dusk and the man in the suit was gone. How long was I out? The dog still licking my face. Yes, thank you, Remy, you're a good boy. I collected myself, then the dog and I continued through the forest, trying to leave before nightfall. Occasionally, looking behind me to see if the man in the suit was back. I felt like I was being followed. Maybe I'm just being paranoid. Remy and I reached the edge of the woods, hopped in the car, and left. The house was quiet by the time we arrived home, and it was night. The dog went to bed, and I sat on the couch. What happened out there? Who was that man? I still feel sick. The clock in my kitchen read 10. I grabbed some medicine from the washroom to ease my head. The lights pierced my eyes, intensifying this headache. I gulped down two pills and splashed water on my face from the sink. Suddenly, at the door. Who could that be? Remy was still asleep in his bed, which is weird because he usually runs to greet people into our home. I pressed my eye against the peephole to see who was knocking at my door. My apartment, located at the end of the hallway, allowed me to see all the way down to the other end. The hallway was empty, and no one was at my door. I pulled my head back from the peephole. Who could that have been? I jumped in my own skin from terror, and quickly pressed my eye against the hole once again. No one was in front of my door, but all the way at the end of the hall was a man in a suit. It was the same man from the woods, gaunt and faceless. The lights began to flicker up and down the hall like a spectacular light show. I couldn't look away. In fact, I can't look away. I pressed both my hands against the door and pushed hard, but my eye was cemented to the peephole. It was painful, like I was ripping out my eye. The man in the suit was still standing at the end, gazing at my door. He knew I was watching. Amazingly, his body began to move. No, it began to grow. First its legs started to stretch, moving his head closer to the ceiling. Then his arms started to grow down to the floor. 
This thing was huge, so tall that it was crouching to fit under the ceiling. The hallway looked small in comparison. Its limbs still growing, it looked up, and on all fours started hurtling towards my door. The faceless monster ran quick like a burrowing spider within its underground catacombs. I tried to rip my face from the door, but it was no use. Again, I felt faint. As the monster got closer, my vision started to fail me, and like in the woods, I fainted. When I came to and opened my eyes, I was lying at the foot of my door. Dark smoke filled the room. I could hardly breathe. My eyes adjusted, and the man in the suit was standing right in front of me, legs and arms still elongated. I couldn't move. My entire body was in a state of paralysis. The monster was tall. His face was white and featureless, and his hands were skeletal claws, sharp and cold. The monster towered over my frozen body. Quickly, black tendrils extruded from the side of its torso and back. The tentacles grabbed my body and picked me up. I was face to face with this monster. Then, without speaking, it said, Time is short. As early as day's first light, I will amass your soul to the place uncharted. Then, all at once, the monster retracted its tendrils, dropping me, and vanished without a trace. Silence. The apartment was empty. No sign of the horrible events I just witnessed. Did that really just happen? As early as first light. Morning? I grabbed my coat and headed out the door. Outside, it was cold. Everything was wet as if rain had just fallen. I started walking towards downtown. The streets were empty. What time is it? The sky was gray and the clouds moved fast, forming different shapes and shades. Downtown was as quiet as a grave, and again, empty. Something is wrong. All of the buildings, street signs, and roads had a staleness to them. I reached the main intersection, and the streetlights turned from red to green, but no cars were coming from any direction. The atmosphere felt oddly manufactured. To the west, something was in the distance. It was a person. It was the monster in the suit, watching me. He didn't do anything, he just stood there. I stepped out onto the road and continued forwards to the north. Walking down the center of the street, it occurred to me, all of the building's doors, windows, and signs were just painted on. Like I was on a set, none of it was real. Between two buildings was an archway. I could see the man in the suit watching me down the mock alleyway. He's following me. I continued on. The buildings on each side of the street were so clearly fake, how did I not notice before? Even the sky was different. The clouds were a dark purple and misshapen, like ink dye dripped into water. Lightning highlighted the different shapes in the sky. At the end of the road was a large building. This one didn't look like a cheap set piece. The architecture and detail in the stone looked real. Well, like a building should look. Behind me, the silhouette of the man still watching in the distance. A large brass sign attached to a concrete statue depicting a man holding the hand of a child sat firm at the base of the steps leading up to the building. The sign read, Walker's Public Library. Maybe there's information within this library that can give me answers about what is going on. With one foot forwards, I ascended the steps leading to the large wooden entryway of the library. And with a strong pull of the handle, I opened the door, exposing the dark insides of the building. Dark, cold, 
empty. The streets behind me gave no sign of life, the man still standing at the end of the road. I took a deep breath and stepped inside the library. Inside, the library was quiet. The air was heavy and it was hard to breathe. I passed through the empty lobby into the library. Thick dust hung in the air. There was a children's section at the front with toys and coloring books. I noticed, on the table, pages scattered all around, drawings depicting the man in the suit. The illustrations were crudely drawn in red and black. I glanced over my shoulder, looking through the lobby at the front entrance. Nothing. I pressed on. I walked up three steps into the main library area. Ahead of me were many avenues of bookshelves, each leading in different directions. The dust had created a sort of haze throughout the building. Lightning flashed through the windows. I picked an aisle, almost at random, and headed down the long corridor of books. The library was old. Most of the books were in bad condition, waterlogged and decaying. I wandered along, still fearful of what is in store for me come morning. Day's first light, I will amass your soul to the place uncharted. This played in my mind over and over, weighing on me as I searched for answers within this labyrinth of knowledge. On one of the shelves, there was another drawing, a disturbing picture of the monster standing with its tentacles stretching from its torso. Who is this man? Where am I? Where is everyone else? I searched mystery, fiction, magical realism, mythology, nothing. There were no answers to what this monster could be. Like in the woods, the temperature dropped, the air became heavy. Down at the end of the aisle, the tall skinny man stood, watching me. I faced him. What do you want? It didn't respond. What time is it? There are no clocks in here, it can't be day yet. The man still stood at the end of the hall of books, faceless, but still watching me. I turned and ran. I ran fast, passing rows and rows of books. At the end of each aisle I passed, the tall, grim, faceless man appeared from thin air, watching me, studying me. I stopped to catch my breath. The dust in the air had corroded my mouth and throat. I spit gray filth to the floor. I had become lost in this maze of books. But like the river running down to the lake, I was determined to reach salvation. I ran left, then right, and found a straightaway. I could see the entrance. On the floor was another drawing. This one showed a mansion in the woods, broken, dark, and decaying, much like these books. I ran fast down the aisle and looked back. The man was standing there, watching me run for my life. I swung my head forwards, and I was in a forest. The library was gone, and it was winter. It was very dark, but the full moon lit enough for me to see. Exhausted and cold, I trudged through the forest. The wind was fierce, cutting right through me. I came to a small bridge with a river running under it. This is the same bridge from earlier today. I'm back in the woods. I continued along the trail. Through the forest, I could see light, dim in the distance. I hurried toward the beacon through the woods. Cold wind cut through me like frozen knives. As I got closer, I could see that it was a large mansion. The house was in bad condition. Most of the wood rotted, and the exterior was overgrown with vines and plant life, like the forest was trying to reclaim it. 
For the most part, it looked abandoned, except for the light in the top right second floor window. The wind blew hard against my exposed arms. I can't stay out here, so I ran up to the huge front doors and pulled them open and ran inwards. The entrance hall was massive, with a grand stairwell ahead, leading up to the second floor. The house was silent. Hello? I called out. To my left there was a doorway leading into a lounge. A large black grand piano with two of its legs broken was smashed against the floor. Books covered in dust were everywhere. On the tables, piled on the putrid sofas, each of them rotting, much like the books in the library. Suddenly, at the corner of my eye, something moved down the long hallway on the other side of the main entryway. Hello? Is anyone there? The rainless thunderstorm was getting worse. I stepped up to the large stairs. The stairs had a red, moldy carpet, and many of the steps were decomposing. Each foot I placed was careful. I quietly ascended the staircase. Lightning flashed through the stained glass windows above the landing. At the top of the stairs, the second floor overlooked the mansion's entryway. Multiple rooms lined the left and right sides of the corridors. At the end of the hallway, a door was ajar and a light was on. I advanced down the hall. Vases, candles mounted on the walls, and paintings decorated the second floor, all untouched but damaged by time. The floorboards and details in the wood, so rotten most of it had turned back to soil. The house's structure was decaying. The rooms were in just as bad condition as the rest of the house. Broken windows, collapsed beds, waterlogged ceilings. I pressed on towards the final room. Suddenly, I felt a tap on my shoulder, as if someone was wanting my attention. I turned to look, but no one was there, except for another room. This one was not like the rest of the house. It was clean and well kept. I stood for a moment in the doorway, inspecting the area. And that's when I began to feel my body being pulled, pulled into the room like a magnet was in the center of my chest. It became stronger and stronger. I planted both my hands on the doorway, trying to pull my body back. I started to feel faint like before and shook my head to resist. Then ahead of me, in the corner of the room, was a woman in a white, dirty, rotten dress. She looked very sad. Join. Follow. She said. I pushed hard against the doorframe. My back began to arch from the invisible force pulling my body. The woman kept repeating these words. Join. Follow. Then she slowly started walking towards me. She was barefoot. And like the house, her face, arms, and legs were in a state of decay. She got closer and closer until I pushed hard against the walls and launched myself back into the hallway. The woman was gone. The room was like the others, corroded and in despair. I took a moment to catch my breath. I shouldn't linger here. I hurried to the room with the light and opened the door. It was a children's playroom. The room was in good condition and was modern compared to the rest of the mansion. It was quite comforting and felt safe. Toys laid all around the room like kids had left mid-playtime. A lit lamp was on the table. Children's drawings scattered all around, just like in the library. I picked up one of the drawings, and it depicted the faceless man in the suit and had the words, Help me, written across the bottom. Just then, 
Light from the window hit the paper in my hands. I raised my head to look out the window. The clouds had parted, and the sun was rising. The door behind me shut. I turned around, and the tall, slender man was standing in the room, his head almost touching the high ceiling. His face was white, with no eyes, nose, ears, or mouth. And without speaking, he said, I knew you would come to meet me. They always do. Then I woke up. A terrifying nightmare can be stressful. Laying down at night, ready to relax and sleep, recharging your body for the next day. Then you are thrown into a sometimes realistic situation of horror and stress. You then wake up panicked and scared and have to carry that fear with you for the rest of the day. But what happens when that nightmare manifests into your waking life, then spreads to other people? To break down my nightmare, I'll start from the beginning. When I awoke in my nightmare, I was walking with my golden retriever, Remy. We were in the forest we usually hike, looking for morel mushrooms. This is our favorite place to explore. We've walked it hundreds of times, so it makes sense that it was the setting for a dream. If you are in a forest within your dream, it can depict a time of renewal. You may be starting something new and refreshing in your waking life. This is more true if it's springtime, like it was in my nightmare. Walking through a forest, especially one that you're familiar with, means that you are past the time of trouble. Unfortunately, there was a monster stalking me within these woods. This could mean there are still some challenges I have yet to face, lurking within my subconscious. The river within the forest can symbolize that I am heading in the right direction. The river was calm, so this could be a reflection of my own waking life, meaning that I am handling the journey in a calm way eventually reaching the lake, or the success I am seeking. Then there was the man in the woods, standing on the boardwalk in a suit. This is the dark entity that was pursuing me throughout the dream, stalking me at each turn. The thing revealed itself in the woods, but I didn't truly see it until I was looking through the peephole of my front door. Looking through a peephole in a dream can indicate that you can't see the whole picture and that you are having tunnel vision of a situation. In this case, I was stuck to the looking glass, forced to watch this grim monster disform his body and charge towards me, its inhuman lanky limbs quickly pulling itself down the hallway. Once I got the bleak message from this devil, I left the house and headed downtown. However, when I reached the center of the city, it was all fake. Each building was manufactured to look like a building, but wasn't a building. The colors were wrong, and the sky was different, and the faceless man was tucked away down every street and alley. I never left his sight. Dreaming of a downtown or a mall can indicate that I am becoming too obsessed with material desires. Though I don't think this is true because, in the nightmare, everything was fake. This could mean I feel that material things make a person fake or hide their true self. And the world around me in my waking life is just part of some abstract movie set. Down the street of the dreary fake city was the large library. With its archaic architecture, large doors, and eerie atmosphere, inside the library was in a state of blight. The aisles were large and chaotic, and for lack of a better word, a maze. 
the condition of the books and literature throughout the library was sour. The books were destroyed, rotten, and disorganized. Dreaming of a library in this condition could mean that you are overwhelmed with information in your waking life, and you are having trouble absorbing and sorting the information you are receiving. The aisles throughout the library were formed like a labyrinth, forcing me to decide which way to go at every turn. Dreaming of a maze can symbolize you are unsure of which direction to take in life. The fact that this was in a corridor library could mean I don't know how to process the information I am receiving and how to apply it to the directions I am taking in life. All the while, the dark entity still following close behind, ready to snatch me up. This entity, the thin, tall, faceless monster in a suit, following me. Around every turn he waited. What is this thing? Where did it come from? Well, let me tell you about Slenderman. Slenderman is a fictional monster originally created by Eric Nudesman, also known as Victor Surge, in a 2009 Photoshop contest. Slenderman is depicted as a tall, gaunt man in a suit with a white, featureless face. He is written to have the ability to spawn tentacles that protrude from his body, and he appears almost at random. Since his creation, people have created art, video series, movies, and video games about the modern cryptid Slenderman. Each person contributing to the mystery, shaping the lore, creating the Slenderman into the mysterious monster we know today. The stories of the Slenderman monster say he mainly appears to children and steals them away back to his mansion. However, Slenderman isn't limited to just haunting children. According to the myth, Slenderman is said to be different for each person who claims he's encountered him. Some see him as a normal-sized man in a suit with a white featureless face, while others say he can be seen extending his limbs to great lengths and scaling buildings or towering over someone. Others have said he has black tentacles that protrude from his body and grab you. All stories have one thing in common. Once you've seen Slenderman, you can't unsee him. He follows you shows up at random times in your life, in reality or in your mind, like a disease. If someone had believed this to be true, that Slenderman can stalk you within your own mind, and they themselves start to become paranoid that Slenderman was actually stalking them, or they're having hallucinations about Slenderman, then what makes him fake? It all became very real for two 12-year-old girls named Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire when they decided they wanted to become one of Slenderman's proxies. A proxy for Slenderman is someone who does his bidding. These proxies go out and spread the word of Slenderman mostly on the internet, infecting other people's minds with this monster, influencing victims to join him, almost like an army or a cult. Slenderman and his proxies are said to operate from Slenderman's mansion in Victor Park, located somewhere in Florida. Morgan and Anissa believed, to become slaves to Slenderman, they needed a sacrifice to show him they are worthy. On May 31, 2014, after a sleepover, Morgan and Anissa led their friend Peyton Lutner deep into Nicolet Park, located in Wisconsin, where they stabbed Peyton 19 times then left her in the woods to die, sacrificing her all in the name of Slenderman. They believed after she was dead, 
Slenderman would appear before them and lead them to his mansion in Victor Park, where they would be welcomed as new proxies to serve at the side of Slenderman. Amazingly, Peyton survived the stabbing and walked out of the woods to the road where she was picked up and immediately brought to the hospital. Later, Anissa and Morgan were arrested. So if proxies influence people online, infecting kids like Anissa and Morgan, influencing to do terrible things in the name of Slenderman, a fictional creature, I ask the question again, what makes him fake? I doubt Eric Nudesman had any idea that his Slenderman monster was going to become what it is today. But it just goes to show you the possible impact that something can have when people start to create for it, then believe in it, then worship it. When it comes down to it, we all make our own reality. We make the decisions in our own life or create the monsters we have. The problem lies when the things we create slowly becomes something we can't control. This episode was written by me, Charlie Conlon. Sound effects editing by Daniel Jaworski. I hope you enjoyed this scary story. Email the podcast at knowingmynightmares at gmail.com to send me your terrifying nightmares. I want to hear them. Rate and follow the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me at KMN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram for all things nightmarish. And remember, if things get too scary, you can always wake up.